But as we're, we're finishing up in the next couple of weeks, the book of James, as we're, we're coming to today's passage, uh, one thing that stood out in my mind as I was reading and studying for this passage is this picture right here. You say, why would that stand out in your mind? When I was senior in high school and for a couple of years after high school, I got involved with a group of guys that would go down on Friday nights to uh, the downtown Atlanta area to do street witnessing. And uh, the first night that you're there, the initiation to the group is you have to run up the down escalator at the Peachtree Marta Station. This is the down, this is the escalator at the Peachtree Marta Station. So it's a pretty good distance. If you've ever run up an escalator, what you do is you look at your feet, right? Because if you don't, you're going to bust it and it's going to be ugly. So, so I, my, my first night, oh yeah, I can do this. And I'm running for all I'm worth. And I'm looking down at my feet to keep from falling. And finally I just go, I can't do it. And I stop and I'm like four steps from the top. And I go, man, if I had known I was that close, I could have hung in there. Now, what's my point in that? My point in that is, too often, we run, and we run, and we run, and we run, and we quit just a little too short. Paul said in Corinthians, this is what he said, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, we give the Apostle Paul a lot of credit. We, we look up to the Apostle Paul, but if he understood and realized that there was still the possibility that after all he had done, he might stop short. And that what, that's what drove him to continue to press forward. If you look through Scripture, a large percentage, I think someone even said 70%, I'm not sure, I didn't do enough of the study to, to know that that percentage is right, but a large percentage of those who would be considered leaders in Scripture do not finish well. They start off well. They run the race well for a while. But then there comes a point in time when they stumble. There comes a point in time when they go, it's just too hard. There comes a point in time when temptation and struggles and all these things become a little too much. So they give in either to temptation or they at least just decide to give up on the race. Now, why are we talking about this this morning? Why would James, here in this last little bit of the book, begin to talk about this? Well, it's not just in the last part of this book that he talked about it. If you have your Bibles, you don't have, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you look back over, remember chapter 1. What does he say in verses 2 through 4? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, 
which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's the perseverance. It's the hanging in there. You know, it's scary to think about. And we see it all the time now in the news. Now, I'm not talking about spiritual leaders, but just as a whole, what's on the news story now? What's the big news story in today's... Everybody is messing up. Everybody is taking advantage of the position they're in and abusing someone. And because of that, they have become disqualified for their jobs. Now, that's bad enough when you're a politician or a news reporter. But it becomes extra bad when you are a follower of Christ, a leader in His church, someone who sets the example and stands up front and speaks. Remember we talked about it in James chapter 3. He says, be careful if you're a teacher because as such you're going to incur stricter judgment. That's not just you're going to be held to a higher standard. That's part of that. But that's also that fact that we need to understand and know that when you set yourself up or someone sets you up as the expert or the leader or the teacher, then you're now a target. You now have to be even more careful on what you do and say and and speak and and how you live your life because now everyone is looking to you. Is it fair? Well, it all depends on how you look at it. I've had people say, well, it's unfair that you, you, you count me, you know, you're harder on me because I was a pastor and I had an affair than you were on somebody else in the church that had an affair. Well, you stood up front and taught people that you shouldn't do this. And you did it. So yeah, I hold you to a higher standard. The scripture, I believe, holds us to a higher standard. Now this is not to say you're sitting out there today going, man, I'm glad I'm not one of the leaders. (laughs) You know, I can live however I want because I'm not in leadership, so I'm, I'm doing well. No, we're not saying that either. Because the reality is we all are Christ's followers if we have a relationship with him and we all lead in a sense. We may not be up front, we may not be the ones speaking, but we all have a leadership responsibility. We all reflect Christ or don't reflect Christ depending on our lives. And so as we get to this part of James here, we just talked last week, and I'm thankful for those of you who sat here and listened to the the financial talk last week, and you came back, Um, you know, and you're not going around talking bad about me because I talked about finances last week. I appreciate that. But, you know, in that warning to the, the rich and the, the warning last week about dealing with finances, it would be easy for those of us who don't have as much to judge those who do. See, well, he's talking to them. You know, they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. It's easy for those of us who may not be in a leadership position to judge those who are. And as we get into this passage today, we're going to understand that we need to look at this from the perspective of what is God calling me to do? I don't need to judge my success or my walk with the Lord based on your walk with the Lord. I need to judge my walk with the Lord based on my relationship with Him and who He is. And so we come to the passage today, James chapter 5, beginning verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, I like James's first two words in this passage. Be patient. It's a command. Boy, you think, James, what is wrong with you? I mean, I can't help when I lose my patience, right? I'm not trying to lose my patience. I'm trying to be patient. But these people are just nuts. And so when I'm dealing with people who are nuts, I can't be patient. Y'all have heard my, my you know, confession. Walmart is where this is, comes into play for me. You know, I worked retail too long, I think, because I go, you're not supposed to treat the customer like this. You know, when I'm standing there waiting for you to check me out and you're talking to your boyfriend on your cell phone, I want to reach across and strangle you. Now, I know I shouldn't do that. I want to take your phone and throw it out the window because you shouldn't be doing this. And so I, I have to be patient. James is telling us it's a command from the Lord to be patient. The good thing about that is God never commands us to do anything that he doesn't give us the strength and the ability to do it. So it's not a command, he says, be patient, and I'm going to sit back and wait and see if you can handle it. He says, be patient because he pours his patience and his love and his mercy and his grace upon us. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. We just sang a few minutes ago, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. He gives our, his Holy Spirit to give us the power and the strength to be patient. Now, this word here is, is more the idea of being patient with not just circumstances, but the people that you're dealing with too. There's two different words, and we're going to look at that in a minute. There's two different words in this passage for patience or steadfastness. Now, he's saying here, you know, as an example, don't take judgment into your own hands, dealing with those from verses 1 through 6, but just realize and understand that God's in control. Now, how do we do that? He says, rely on the farmer. Now, today, when the farmer needs water for his plants, what does he do? He turns on the irrigation system, right? The thing goes back and forth and waters his crops. They didn't have that back then. The farmer planted the crops. He took care of the weeds. He would go through daily and deal with the weeds and all of that. But he had absolutely no control over whether those crops were watered or not. He had to wait upon the Lord to send the rain for the crops. And he says here, there's latter rains and early rains. See, the issue wasn't just, well, wow, we got a lot of rain in April and May. That's great. That's exciting. That helps our crops. But he needed rain later too. He had to trust the Lord to, to provide. 
And that's what James is saying. When he talks about being patient, it's not gritting your teeth to keep from throwing somebody's phone in the trash. It's waiting on and trusting the Lord. For me, I need to say, Lord, is there a reason why I'm having to stand here while this person's on the phone? Maybe there's an opportunity, like Gail prayed, that there's somebody beside me I need to talk to you about you. Maybe it's a matter of the person standing behind me has, has seen me in a ministry position somewhere and they're waiting to see. Is he going to blow it? Is he going to lose his cool here? Or is he going to be okay? Maybe that person behind the counter needs a touch from the Lord and not a touch from me. And so we need to be patient. We need to trust that God's in control, that in the midst of whatever's coming our way, and this time of year gets rough on people. It really does. People get around the holidays, and because of expectations, because of history, because of television shows and movies that present that that everything just kind of works out with the Christmas miracle every year, that we, we begin to put expectations on this holiday that are unrealistic. And so life gets kind of rough. But in those rough times, in those times when it seems like the rain's not going to come, we trust the Lord. We wait on the Lord to bring the latter and the late rain. I mean, the early and the late rains. So if that wasn't enough, James goes on in verse 2, I mean verse 8, excuse me, What does he say? Be patient. (laughs) Okay, you just told me that once. Why are you telling me that again? It's the same word. Why is James repeating himself? Because one thing is, in verse 7, he says, Be patient because you're waiting on the Lord to provide the rain. But then he says, Be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That establish, the idea is, to make it more firm. The, the word establish in the Old Testament was the same word where you would get the word pillar. You know, you think about a pillar on a house. Not a pillow, but a pillar. That pillar is there to establish a foundation, to hold things in place. It's secure. And really the idea is if you were a tiny little speck on the top of this, That's how secure you are. There's no way of falling off the sides. Now, when I was a youth pastor, y'all know, some of you know me, know I'm I'm not a big fan of heights. And the older I get and the more I deal with vertigo, the less I'm a fan of heights. But, But I was a youth pastor, and we went to an obstacle course in Athens, Georgia. And part of this obstacle course was you climbed a 60 foot telephone pole, and you stand on the top and you jump to a trapeze bar. Now, Everything in me said, no. But there was this, this group of guys that I was with that knew, if we just dare him, he's just stupid enough to do it. And they kept daring me and calling me a chicken and a weenie and all those things. So here I go. And all the way up, you know, I'm holding on for dear life. And climbing the pole was bad enough, but it's that last step. You ever done it? 
because the platform you're standing on is about this size on the top of the telephone pole. And you've got to let go at some point in time and step up. And everything in me is saying, don't let go of this pole. Now, I say that because there's a guy at the bottom that works for the group. Now, this obstacle course, if you've ever been there, it's run by juvenile delinquents who are, this is kind of their probation from going to jail. So you think, you know, what do they have to lose if they drop me? But, so he's at the bottom and he's got the belay and he's going, don't worry, I'm not going to let you die. Now, now my statement to him was, I'm not really concerned that you're going to let me go all the way to the ground and die. My concern is you're not going to catch me before I hit several of these spikes on the way down. You know, I'm going to hit my face on this platform and go all the way down to the spikes, catching my ears and everything else on the way. That's what I'm concerned about. And I'm just petrified. Now, I say that because he had, I was established. Whether I believed it or not, he had me and I was established. When I let go of that pole and began to step up, I was secure. I could feel it. I could feel he had me. He wasn't going to let me go. It wasn't like he said, here, let me give you a little bit of slack and make you... No, I was secure. And I did it. And I jumped to that trapeze bar. And I vowed at that point in time to never do it again. But the point behind all of it is, I could step out. I could do it because I was established. My, my faith in this guy was established. And James says, be patient because establish your heart knowing that the Lord is at hand. Now he's talking about here the coming of the Lord. But the issue still is the same because James 2,000 years ago was talking about the coming of the Lord. Has he come yet? No, he hasn't. But we live and we trust and we're patient knowing that he is going to come. And knowing that his coming is at hand but also knowing that He is at hand. He is there to help us and to establish us. Because as much as I might trust this 16-year-old who's keeping out of jail by holding me up by a belay, I trust the Lord a lot more. And so He says, be patient, establish your heart, knowing that the Lord is at hand. Then verse 9, He really gets personal. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, it might be easy to be patient, sort of. I can maybe grit my teeth and make it through. But boy, it's not easy not to grumble. It's not easy when life isn't what we want it to be to not gripe and complain about it. And it's even less easy now that we have Facebook and Twitter and everything else. Because it sure is easy to, to post a gripe and a complaint there and hit post and it's gone. We don't have to worry about it anymore until everybody's griping and complaining back to us. But he says, don't grumble against one another. Going back again, verses 1 through 6, where he talks about those who are rich and and taking advantage of the the poor. He talks about that in James chapter 2. He says, don't, basically don't look at everybody else's situation. And you may be patient with their situation, but don't grumble and complain about them. He 
He says in Ephesians, to not gripe about one another, to not complain. I had somebody one time tell me this, and I, you know, maybe it's a little one of those super spiritual things or whatever, but it, it really made me think. I was griping about the fact that it had been raining or something, and, and he said, you know what? Every time you gripe about the rain, you're griping at the Lord because he's the one that brought the rain. And I thought, hmm, never quite thought of it that way before. We gripe about the weather, who's in charge? You know? But the issue here is not even, he's not talking about griping to the Lord. He's talking about griping and grumbling about one another. Do people treat us well all the time? No. Are there people that have not only not treated you well, but they've just outright been nasty towards you? How are we to respond? Not to grumble and gripe, not to complain, to be patient, to trust that that Christ is the judge. That's not always easy. It's a lot easier for me to pronounce judgment. It's a lot easier for me to call everybody I know and tell them how bad this person has been to me rather than trusting that the Lord knows what he's doing. And that's not a sit back and wait for them to get burned. Because what does Paul say? He says to pray for those who persecute you. To, to do what's best for the person who persecutes you and treats you dirty. So this idea of not grumbling is not sitting back going, boy, I, you know, I'm not going to complain because, boy, I can't wait till God strikes them down. Well, they deserve to get just nailed to the wall. No. We do like Paul says, we pray for those. Say, well, that all sounds good, Wade, but is it realistic? Well, he says here in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Ah, there we go. (laughs) I got justification for being able to just denounce everybody because that's what the prophets did, right? Prophets came in and said, God's coming. The wrath is going to fall. I mean, remember Jonah? Jonah was excited. He didn't want to go at first, but once he decided to go, hey, I like this. I'm going to Nineveh, and these guys that are just jerks that have slaughtered my people, I get to go in and say, judgment is going to fall. All right. So he goes in, he says, judgment's going to fall, and they go, oh, man, we need to repent. And they repent, and God shows mercy, and Jonah goes, wait a minute. They deserve to be struck down. And God says, are you, God? Are you in charge here? See, the prophets, they had messages that maybe some of us would like to have been able to say. But a lot of them died because of their message. A lot of them were persecuted and beaten because of their message. A lot of them didn't want to give that message, but God put it on their heart that they had to give it. So he's saying, be an example, see them as an example, that they suffered for speaking the truth. But a lot of times they spoke the truth and they suffered for it, but the people they spoke the truth to changed, and God showed compassion. 
And then the next example. Behold, we can... Excuse me, I'm sorry, I jumped. Oh yeah, behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. One version says, you've seen the patience of Job. Has anybody ever read the book of Job? few of us. If you know the book of Job, patience probably isn't one of those things you think, boy, he was real patient. But the idea here is he's using the different word. The idea here is he remained under. It's not a matter of being patient with people as much as dealing with just sticking it out through the situation. Because even though Job doesn't come across as very patient, and Job has some pretty rough things to say. He goes back and forth with the Lord a good bit and argues with the Lord. And, but ultimately, even his arguing with the Lord was he trusted the Lord in the midst of it. See, we have an advantage. When we read the book of Job, we know why he's suffering. Job chapter 1, Satan comes to God and says, Well, the only reason Job is following you is because you're giving him everything. His life's great. He's got a wife and and good kids and money. No wonder he's following you. The Lord says, okay, well, take his kids and his money away from him. So all of his kids die and all of his crops are wiped out. And he has nothing. Satan comes again and says, well, see, but, you know, he's healthy. No wonder he's following you. He's healthy. God says, okay, you can't kill him. You can make his life as miserable as you want. And it says, Job was sitting in the ashes of the town with boils on his body that itched to the point where he took pottery and broke it to scratch the boils. Now, I had food poisoning one time in my mouth that made my tongue itch. And here we are, Judy and I were on our anniversary dinner, and I have a fork that I'm scratching my tongue it itches so bad. My lips are swollen. I'm, I'm just thinking, I, this is not good. I watched the news that night, and they said, well, there's a strain of mahi-mahi that is poison that the least thing that can happen is lips swelling and itching. The worst is death. So I thought, well, okay, you know, my lips swelled, my tongue itched, but, you know, I'm still alive. But, but I'm sitting with that fork just scratching my... But here Job is, just the boils on his body. And sitting in the ashes and his wife's going, just curse God and die. And all of his closest buddies are going, this is all your fault. You're in this position because you're just, you've sinned somewhere. And Job's going, no, I didn't. And he argues with God. And in the end, God comes back and says, where were you when I created everything? And Job says, okay, I'll keep my mouth shut. Now, God restores Job, and and he restores his fortune and gives him more children. But there's a long period where this is not true. But we know the story behind it. Job doesn't know why he's suffering. But in the midst of it all, he trusts and he understands the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And then verse 12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, Or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. 
The idea here is not that you don't take a vow in court. The issue here is, we used to always say as I was a kid, cross my heart and hope to die. Or maybe you've been in a situation where life was just falling apart around you and you said, God, if you will get me out of this, I promise I will serve you from now on. And God gets you out and the next day you go, man, glad that's done. And you're going about your way. So don't vow. Don't swear. Don't, don't be trying to, to make like, you know, this is something. If you have to swear to your friends, if you have to, to cross your heart and hope to die, you must be known as a liar. Your friends are going, if he doesn't do that, man, I don't trust what he says. I mean, I still go back to, and this is a little bit of sidelight here. I don't believe that Thomas, in the, old, in the New Testament, I don't believe Thomas didn't trust in the resurrection. Thomas didn't trust the other ten men he'd known for three years. They're coming to him going, hey, we saw Jesus last week. He's going, yeah, right. Cross your heart and hope to die. You know, but the, the issue point here is don't, don't vow. In the midst of struggles and trials and, and all this stuff that's going on, don't say, if you just get me out of this, then I'll do that. No. We trust the Lord in the middle of all of it. Now, why am I saying that? First thing is, God's not promised us an easy life. Matter of fact, Scripture says if those who desire to be godly will be persecuted. It's kind of promised us the opposite. So when we sit and think, it's just not fair, what does that mean? God's not promised us an easy life. God's not promised us easy people to deal with. Say, well, you know, I could deal with the struggles in my life if I just had people that I could trust. Well, you know what? There's people we can't trust. We've all been hurt. We've all had people that we believed had the best interest for us in mind that they proved not to. But we are promised that God is faithful, compassionate, and just. And no matter what else goes on, we can trust and lean in Him. I had a friend in Texas that was going through some, some junk. Lost his business. Uh, He and his wife were fighting about everything under the sun. And he came in one day and he was just mad at God. I said, okay, well, let me just challenge you to do something. Why don't you go out? He had 100 acres of land. I said, go out in the middle of your land, somewhere where people can't hear you. And you just tell God what you think. You're mad at him. He knows it. You can call him every name in the book. Whatever you want to do. But just be prepared for the answer. And he came back about two weeks later and he said, I'm not ever doing that again. (laughs) And I said, what happened? He said, I went out there and about halfway through my tirade, I was on my knees and realizing that I had nothing to be mad at him about. God is compassionate and just and faithful. So how do we make it to the end? How do we survive? First off, be patient. Be patient. Paul says in Colossians, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Why? For all endurance and patience with joy. Hang in there. Right now it may look bleak. Right now, life may not be what you want it to be. But be patient. If I was just patient running up the escalator at the MARTA station, I'd have made it. But my patience ran out when my legs got tired. I don't use a lot of sports analogies because I wasn't the athlete that Brian was. I was the athlete that when you did six inches and the coach turned his back, you laid your legs on the ground, <laughs> lift them back up when he's not looking, right? So y'all laugh because y'all were in that same boat. I know, but, you know, I was the one that you did the least amount imaginable so you could at least still be on the team. And that's why a lot of times I didn't play, you know. But it's that same idea. We, we, we hang in there. Be patient. Secondly, don't gripe. Don't gripe. Let me say it one more time. Don't gripe. Now I'm going to give you permission. Everybody in this room, I'm giving you permission. When you hear me griping, say, wait, don't gripe. You told us not to gripe. Don't gripe. Not easy. Don't vow. When things are rough, don't say, Lord, if you just make my life easier, then I'll do these things for you. Because the same thing has crossed my heart, hope to die. We're lying. We mean it. We want this to be true because we want to be out of the bad situation. But we're not going to fulfill our vows. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be honest with the Lord. Do like Job. Do like my friend in Texas. God, I don't like this. I don't like you right now. But be prepared for the answer. And then lastly, trust that God has a better plan for you than you do. That's not always easy, is it? I know what would make my life better. I know how to make my life easier. What's wrong with God? Why doesn't he know? He knows a lot better than I do. Trust me. When I was younger, there was one young lady that I knew. She was the one for me. And when God took her away, I was ticked. I was hurt. I tried my best to get her back. Boy, I look back now and I go, Lord, thank you that I, you didn't let me be stupid. And it's not just in relationships. There have been other times when I just know this is what God wants for me. And rather than trying to trust Him, I do my own thing, and because of that, I get in trouble. I get hurt. Bad things come my way. Be patient. 
Don't gripe. Don't vow. Trust that whatever's coming your way, God has what's best for you in mind. Job wouldn't have understood that at the time. But God had what was best for Job and for God's glory in in God's mind. God has what's best for you in his mind. Trust him in that. Let's pray.